Hello, everyone, and welcome to the PPC Show, brought to you by AdStage. I am one of your hosts, Paul Wicker. And I'm the other host, J.D. Prater. Today is January 11th, 2019. These are your top headlines in paid marketing. Before we do the headlines, I wanted to say AdStage is going to put out their, they, we are going to put out her benchmark report that has all like average CPCs and spend for all the different networks. If you want to be featured in that report, uh, J.D. and I will create uh, or I'll ask a question in, in Quora. If you go over to Quora, there's a digital news and trends space. Go to that space. I'll post the question. And if you give a good answer, uh, like my buddy, our buddy, Joe Martinez did last time, and Corey, I'm forgetting his last name right now. Um, Hinky. Yes, Corey Hinky. Uh, and we ended up putting, putting those quotes. Or I think we put those quotes in our benchmark report. If not, they'll be in this upcoming one. But you could be there too. So check out Cora, find the digital marketing space, answer the question. And if it's a good answer, I'll contact you, ask you for permission. And if so, we'll put it in the benchmark report, which goes to like, I don't know, we have like a 50,000 marketer distro list or something crazy like that. So we'll make you famous. Nice. That's some yeah. serious little, that's a good little one. Get that's out there, man. Go. Plug. Yeah. I like that one. So let's talk news. Um, the first one, so the first two are kind of industry stories from Ad Exchanger that if you're a marketer, you might not care about, but if you're like an entrepreneur type, you might care. Um, you know, Luma Forecasting was in the Ad Exchanger article talking about how if you are an ad tech company like AdStage, 2018 is going to be a crappy year to try to sell your company. <laughs> but if you're in MarTech, then you'll be all right because private equity is now in this game and they're starting to you know, they did the Adobe flip where they bought Marketo, flipped it over, and two years later sold it to Adobe. So somehow the MarTech segment is supposed to be fine, but the ad tech segment is supposed to have trouble raising money. So I don't know. I'm not smart enough to understand this. Yeah, I, I, uh, I know we talked about this last time, but I, I kind of like that you're saying AdSage is now MarTech, which could be really good. So 2018, you guys are ad tech. 2019, you guys are MarTech. I think it's, it's really, you're playing the odds here, Paul. Uh, right. So it's really good. That's right. This is no longer this week in ad tech. It's this week in marketing news. And I'm not even kidding. We're changing the name of our, <laughs> of our newsletter. <laughs> this week. I think it's ad news now, but it's moving to this week in marketing news. Uh, and it's, but yeah, I think I, I said last time, so I won't say it again, but we really are becoming this like data company. We're talking to people about connecting the sales teams and marketing teams and marketing and Salesforce leads. And it is a, it's much more broad now than just, Hey, can you create a bunch of Facebook ads and LinkedIn ads? So we, we're moving to MarTech. Are you listening, private equity? We're moving to MarTech, and we're just so successful. <laughs> Send me uh, 30, 40 million bucks. Um, speaking of, in our prediction show last time, we talked about, um, our, is there going to be this great consolidation of tools that we hear about every year when Scott Brinker does, or he used to do those, those giant charts. Does he still do them now? Because he works, doesn't he work at Quora? Or does he work at Bing? Where does he work now? He's at uh, HubSpot now. HubSpot, right. Um, but yeah, I, I still think he's doing the MarTech thing. Uh, so I think he usually puts it out like right around, right around MarTech. So what is that, May, late May. April? Yeah, yeah, they're doing their May conference May. in May. And they, in the article they talked about, like we talked about last time, proliferation of all these tools and how, uh, let's see, what was the one stat? Most organizations use 30 to 40 analytics tools for things like search, SEO, and social. So according to this Ad Exchanger article, it's not even just uh, like ad tech tools and it's like just in analytics, it takes 30 to 40 tools. But, uh, and that was a Cisco quote. The guy who wrote this article is a, a Cisco person. But um, yeah, MarTech, anyway, MarTech is coming up. 
it is a good show to go to if you haven't been. And I like that Scott shares a lot of, of the stacks of different companies like Oracle and, and Microsoft. So in this article, I went down that path and I started looking at Cisco stack, Microsoft stack, uh, et cetera. Yeah, I liked it. Uh, I thought he did a really good job with this one of handling it from CMO perspective, but also the practitioner uh, perspective. I, uh, the things that really kind of stuck out to me, again, huge tech stacks, you know, 40 plus tools. And he's, th- he's saying that you're going to see a consolidation. Um, and we, we kind of see this. You see Salesforce doing this. You see Oracle doing this. You see HubSpot doing this, where they're really trying to build an ecosystem around them. But for you, the practitioner, he said, to succeed, some skills that you must embrace. So it's not like you don't even have them. You have to embrace them. It's one, all marketers should be comfortable with working with new reporting analytics tools, especially automated ones. Hello, ad stage. Oh, then, yeah, I happen to know one. <laughs> uh, and the reason why, it's because it allows you to operate at scale and you can provide huge time savings, increase the velocity of team learning, and then even more importantly, uh, machines can analyze data way faster than you ever can. So, um, yeah. you know, to all our friends out there that are still living in Excel, copying and pasting, using formulas, you know, embrace this in 2019. Yeah, he, he had another line in there which could be, uh, which could be an advertisement for ad stage. Oh, I sound like a robot all of a sudden. Okay. Um, He had a line in there that could be an an ad for ad stage. He was saying companies that succeed are the ones that unite data across marketing and ads. Uh, I would add and sales. That's basically the joint product we just launched and create feedback loops that leverage insights to drive change. We have an automate product that helps you automate that change. Uh, And the third part was and train employees to be both marketers and technologists, which we don't do. And actually, I had a conversation with our head of data about, you know, education as a product. And if we're really good at connecting sales, marketing, paid data, that's great. If we can create automation on top of that, that's great, too. But what about this third pillar? All these people who feel like I'm going to get left behind if I don't understand SQL. I'm going to get left behind if I can't understand UTM tagging and tracking and attribution. Maybe we can play a role. Maybe the podcast can take a turn for a technical training. <laughs> <laughs> so that's boring, even sound, you know, just the sound of it. But I, he recommended a book called Super Forecasting, the author of this article, and mm-hmm. I bought it. Uh, Super Forecasting, Art and Science of Prediction. It arrives on September 13th, so I'll let you know. Uh, I am embracing data proficiency so I can be a marketer of the 21st century. Uh, okay, I have to do that century thing. Is it the 21st century? It is. I feel like we'll be in the 22nd century. I was thinking this. I probably won't make it. You probably won't make it either. No offense. We'll be close. <laughs> 80 years from now, you know, ish, 81 years, we'll be the 22nd century. I'm like almost 40. So I'd have to be 120 years old. I could do that. I think I could make 120 with all the revolutions in, in health. It's possible. Hey, anything's possible. You're biking all the time. You're very healthy. <laughs> Your kid will only be 81 years old in the year 2200. Not yeah, that is true. He has a better chance. Yeah, <laughs> much better. Uh, speaking of babies that poop a lot, uh, TechCrunch really beat up on Facebook by calling them crapware. This is a hilarious article. <laughs> this one is so good. Like you have to go and read this one uh, because I just love that they call it crapware. For one, I've never heard that term. I, I've heard of like you know ghostware, vaporware, right? I mean, Bloat, I've heard these bloatware. That's a good bloatware. One. Yeah. And, but now this is just crapware. Um, but this one, this one is pretty funny again, beating up on Facebook. And I think I, what I took away from more than this than anything else was 
this was a great growth marketing initiative. And I bet like the growth marketers that got this approved were like, yes, money. This is how we're going to grow. Because what they ended up doing was getting Facebook pre-installed permanently on certain like Samsung devices uh, specifically. And so when you buy your new Samsung phone, Facebook's already there. Now, they went into some of the technicalities of it, so you can't like freak out too much, but it's basically just like a shell, which I thought was kind of interesting when you think about like the, the technology behind it. It's just a shell. There's no Facebook there. There's no Facebook tracking. Then when you go to download it from the app store, it actually fills that shell with the actual technology of the app, and now it can start interacting, tracking, whatever that may be. So Yeah, and I, I got a sense that it almost would just update and install like it came pre-installed and then when it did an update, maybe like you wouldn't even get a chance to approve because it's already on your phone. Right. The, the other crazy thing, well, and I should point out, this is not new. Apple has a bunch of apps that you can't yeah. uninstall. Uh, exactly. And if you ever buy a phone that's like uh, you know, a Verizon phone or AT&T phone, or if you buy one from Best Buy, they tend to have all this crap on there that you really need to like know what you're doing to get it off uh, the platform or get it off of the phone. So this is an old, you know, browser uh, that has search embedded in the browser toolbar or an OS that has a browser embedded. This is like a classic packaging product technique, but it feels really crappy when you try to delete Facebook and you can't because it's you can't. Uh, yeah. You're doing hashtag delete Facebook and you're like, mm, hashtag disable Facebook. <laughs> yes, I think that one. So if you're listening, you have a Samsung and you're like, what? What do you mean? I can't get rid of it. it you can disable but you can't delete it. That icon is always going to be there. And uh, just a quick note on uh, TechCrunch. They've like really stepped up their headline game in 2019. Uh, just like flip over there like uh, today. And uh, it was, Bing has a child porn problem. That was the headline. <laughs> wow. <laughs> You're like, what? <laughs> Full sensational. Um, yes. I mean, how do you not click on that? Uh, yeah, that's, well. Yeah, yeah. That's another story. <laughs> um, <laughs> The market, this part, they didn't get into much because it's not for a marketing audience per se, but they said that permanent Facebook pre-installs, which are these, what they call stubs, these like shells of Facebook, Facebook pre-installs are counted in Facebook user metrics and used for ad targeting purposes. So interesting to know that when Facebook talks about their monthly active users, they're talking about everyone that has this empty shell of Facebook sitting on their Samsung phone unused. Yeah, I mean, I would love to know how many don't, you know, use it. I mean, I, I still give them the benefit of the doubt that they own the world's internet population. Right. If it's more than 1%, I'd be amazed. But it is funny, they yeah. count it. They, they count, count it. The show. It's these growth marketers. They, they nailed it. They're like, look at this 1% gain. Right. <laughs> that's, uh, that's very true. Oh, you gave me an incentive to grow uh, installs. I now count things that aren't installs as installs. <laughs> uh, Speaking of Facebook and WhatsApp, uh, well, speaking of Facebook, let's talk about WhatsApp. Uh, you can now run, um, well, so the, the headline is ad campaign objectives now include traffic conversions and post engagement. That's for WhatsApp ads. So you can now run WhatsApp ads with these different objectives. Um, and essentially in this Facebook newsfeed, there's an ad. And if you click on that ad, it opens up the WhatsApp chat and it has a preloaded message that you wrote. We covered this in a show maybe six months ago when they first talked about rolling this out in beta where they, because they were playing with the model of how do you pay, like they have to respond to your auto message to start billing you and WhatsApp. But this is, you know, what's uh, Facebook's attempt at monetizing WhatsApp. 
Yeah, I think this one, again, going to do well for brands really outside the U.S. I think inside the U.S., we're going to use Click to open Messenger. I think Messenger's adoption is a much, uh, much larger in the U.S. than it is outside the U.S., which is the converse of WhatsApp. So I don't see a ton of U.S. marketers using this. Uh, but hey, you know, go check it out. Again, it is kind of their, their first step into let's get some ads in WhatsApp. Let's get started the conversation. And now you can do the objective based traffic conversion or engagement. And it's amazing that even though in the U S people don't use WhatsApp that much, they still have 450 million daily active users, not monthly daily active users, 450 million makes them bigger than almost any other platform out there with mm -hmm. just WhatsApp. Uh, so keep that in mind. And then another point, um, this was not the only monetization effort that they, they talked about in WhatsApp. We also covered prior that they're thinking about how to monetize WhatsApp's version of stories. So they have uh, status, which is what WhatsApp stories. So expect stories to show up in WhatsApp as well. So they can make some money off that, that beast. It's, I just wonder like, this is a, this will be JD's rabbit hole tangent right now, but it's like, uh, they try to make Instagram or Facebook kind of look kind of like Instagram. Facebook looks like that. Instagram looks like Facebook. Now WhatsApp's looking like that. Messenger kind of looks like this. And then you go to like LinkedIn and you're like, man, LinkedIn looks a lot like Facebook and like right. everyone is just copying. But yet Facebook is just copying its own properties. I don't know. It's, I was like, man, we're just getting into like one thing. Like this is the news feed. It's what you can expect. And everyone's kind of looks the same. You go to the Twitter's mm -hmm. new, you know, playing around their UI, even Quora to an extent looks like that. So. Well, what's funny too, is like they buy new companies, Facebook buys new companies and that kind of gives them some creativity and some new form factors to play with. But I feel like a lot of Facebook's kind of, uh, you know, crew of companies they've assembled now aren't really in this core social network space. They're like Oculus and um, Facebook home and voice and, you know, messenger. So they're going to run out. They still need some consumer product that feels social media, social media like I feel like so that they can build impressions. I, Cause I think they're like assuming the world's going to move too fast, but people are going to be on Facebook for like another 20 years. Maybe, you know, you never know. Somebody uh, will. There's people on like, uh, you know, Lycos right now. I bet you go to Lycos.com. It's still there. <laughs> There's somebody using Lycos. I mean, think about Yahoo 20 years ago. I don't know. Anyway, we, yeah. I read a really good article around that one. Anyway, uh, but we should talk about Instagram because you mentioned it and we talked about stories. Um, you had one in here around how they're building, uh, people finding a lot of e-commerce success with stories. I don't oh, know, right. Yeah, you do that one. You do this story. Yeah, I like this one. I thought this one, again, we talked about Instagram, talked about stories. Facebook is pushing stories so hard. If you, if you pay attention to any of their blogs and any of their kind of marketing machine, they're pushing stories that, you know, it's the next best thing, right? I mean, a couple of years ago, that was video. People adopted video and now it's time to move on to the next thing. So now it's video and stories with this kind of vertical looking feel and it's absolutely crushing. Um, this is, I saw a tweet earlier today that uh, they did a, a quick kind of poll at uh, SES and it was, hey, are you going to use Instagram stories or Snapchat? And zero marketers out of 50 said I would do Snapchat. <laughs> can't have an episode without picking on Snapchat. Can't, you can't. But uh, anyway, um, I thought that one was really good because I also think, you know, just shows how like the proliferation, if you love Instagram stories, like people are flocking to them, people are loving them. And by that, I mean marketers and advertisers and Instagram's done a really good job 
um, right. getting the advertiser growth with new, you know, clicks, the shoppable, uh, we do the carousel, you know, they're doing all these different ad units within the story to make it kind of look fresh too. And I know at this point, Instagram is only 30% of Facebook's revenue, but they attribute 62% of all the new revenue to Facebook. So already Instagram drives more new revenue to Facebook than Facebook newsfeed and, and Facebook property properties that aren't Instagram. So truly a total success story for Facebook with Instagram. Um, it's also in that story, they talked a lot about influencer marketing and how if you're doing influencer marketing, mm -hmm. you're gonna use uh, stories. And it got me thinking because I don't know anything about influencer marketing because I'm not in B2C. So like you don't find celebrities to talk about like analytics platforms or marketing tech. Uh, <laughs> but our then I was thinking, well, you don't find celebrities and, you know, influencers on Instagram, but you do find CMOs. And, you know, so ABM is our version of influencer marketing was my great realization. Hmm. Like account-based marketing where you like target specific people. Like our influencers aren't, you know, somebody on Snapchat. Our influencers are the people at, you know, whoever you're selling into, if you're trying to sell like Apple, you know, the mm -hmm. vice president of product is the influencer that you're trying to get to, to go tell everybody else about how great your product is. Yeah. I don't know. I, yeah, that's not a bad thought. Uh, I'm, I'm a noodle on that one a little longer. Blog post, blog post on that guy. Uh, hey, let's talk about Spotify. I didn't know anything about Spotify. Um, I will give you some facts about Spotify that I just learned. Number one, they're a public company. I didn't know they were a public company. They trade under the ticker symbol spot. Uh, they had 4 million new paying subscribers uh, last quarter in Q4. Oh, sorry. The fan just fell off the booth. Almost whacked me in the face. Um, signed 4 million new paying subs, growing 40% year over year. And just get, well, you probably saw the number. The revenue that they're doing, 1.57 billion per quarter. So they're doing you know, what's that? One, two, three, four, five, probably 6 billion plus if they're growing at a decent rate, $6 billion coming through Spotify. Revenue is 31% year over year. Those, those are the numbers on Spotify. Really successful tech company. I'm proud of them. Yeah. They, um, you should go look up there. Um, cause they did it kind of a weird IPO. You should go read that story. I don't remember specifically, but they, they like snuck in. I mean, it wasn't like very public at all. Um, I don't know. There was somehow the way that they filed anyway. Uh, well, yeah, well, they got beat up because they just announced their earnings and they're, they're doing discounting, essentially the classic discounting and they're lowering their ARPA, their average revenue per advertiser, in their case, per user. So ARPU, average revenue per user, has gone down 6% year over year. It's now $5.50 per user. Uh, and, but I guess if they have 20, uh, 200 million monthly active users, actually, if you do that math, oh yeah, there's their billion dollars right there. And then... Uh, that must well, that be total to users. That must be like including every single user because right. not monthly. Yeah, because their subscriptions like 10 bucks, like Meg and I have one, it's family, it's $15 a month and we pay it because we hate the ads. Um, wonder if they count Judah as a user. <laughs> He's <laughs> listening. I mean, he has developed uh, his ability to hear music. So. He, he does have his playlist. It's like uh, white <laughs> noise for babies, you know. Uh, there you go. Anyway. Uh, but this one is uh, brands can sponsor the Discover Weekly playlist. So I'm actually a big fan of my Discover Weekly playlist. And as Spotify said, people that listen to their Discover Weekly playlist are like hardcore Spotify people. And so I'm a hardcore Spotify person. And now, you know, you might see Kia sponsoring this brought to you by Kia, you know, and so you mm -hmm. kind of get a, a product placement. 
in there with a banner, but also uh, audio as well. So I think that would be good. I think you have to have the audio, I think, or else I wouldn't do it because I listen to uh, Spotify a lot through like a home speaker, you know? Right. Yeah, I actually pay for Spotify too because I use it at work. It's my white noise. You know, I put on deep focus. Uh, if, if you know Spotify, there's the genre, mm. mood, deep focus, um, which is a bunch of weird spacey sounding noises that, you know, drowns out the dogs barking and the people talking about their weekends. Um, but so I pay money for it too. And I guess we will both start hearing these spots. Well, actually we won't because we pay. This is only for free users of the ones who see ads. I won't see these sponsored updates or sorry, these uh, sponsored branded ads. What are they called? Uh, I don't, it just says you can now sponsor Discover Weekly. We won't see it. Microsoft bought the first one. So the first one coming out will be Empowering Us All, an AI ad campaign by Microsoft. So look for that. Bing. Okay, we got we to gotta get through three more. Bing. Let's do it. Your very own Cora, which, uh, why, don't, why don't we do that right now? You should know what you're launching, even though you're on uh, paternity leave. What's launching? What did you guys just launch over at Cora? Yeah, we uh, had two things. So uh, the biggest one is retargeting users who have shown interest in Cora, uh, questions on Cora. So this, this one's really cool. I, I'm a huge fan of this one because this one really gets down to intent. It really gets down to building those funnels on Cora. So anyone that has seen this question, you can now retarget. And which I think is a great thing. So you can do, this is a little bit different. So before you could target a question, meaning you can put an ad on the question, but now you can say, I want to target everyone who has seen this question and show them a different one. So I love this one for those of you like looking for scale, looking for uh, really driving high quality eyeballs, like go do a chorus session, which is like an AMA. And you can say, hey, I'm Paul Wicker. I'm now taking questions for the next 24 hours on marketing and analytics, whatever it may be, right? People can then submit questions to you, you know, and you can pick which ones and users can also upvote. So you kind of get a prioritization of what you want to answer. You go in, you can answer them. If you get a lot of really great questions and feedback, you can promote that answer, which is great. So that's part one, promote it. And then you can retarget everyone who saw your promoted answer and just work them down the funnel with really nice creative, really nice ads. So I think this one is going to be a really good one. Or, you know, people literally looking to like build a funnel to build out, um, you know, and also scale. That's one of the questions that we get a lot at Core is how, how do we scale this? We, we're seeing great results, but I need more. Everyone's more. When yeah. you compare us to Facebook and Google, everyone wants more. Yeah, <laughs> it's just unfair. Uh, well, that's a great problem to have. Uh, and I love the AMA idea. I want to do it. I think if you're a marketer and you're looking for a good Q1 strategy idea or maybe Q2 strategy idea at this point to bring to the boss, this feels like a good self-contained test to see if you can drum up some, some new uh, business from Cora. Uh, yeah, it's super easy too. Um, you literally, I think it's like Cora.com forward slash answers. And it's like right there on the right hand side, it'll say start like a session. <laughs> Um, they've been pushing me to do one and I, I haven't done it, but I, I do will do one. one. You won. I, I, I will do one. You can do one and we can promote no, it. I want you to help me. I want you to do all the work. <laughs> uh, yes. Let's do our AMAs uh, this quarter so that you can get your bonus. Uh, I think they should put it in your variable count. <laughs> My bonus. Yeah. Let's do it. Merkel, our buddies at Merkel, which is an agency. Well, uh, they probably wouldn't call themselves an agency. They probably call themselves something much more fancy, but they are an agency. Uh, and they do a lot of Amazon and they announced they're doing an automated bidding solution for Amazon sponsored brand ads. So uh, it'll allow you to make data driven decisions 
and update bids up to 48 times per day, enabling marketers to fully capitalize on all revenue opportunities. Uh, and as a product guy, whenever I see agencies roll out products, my first instinct is to think, it's a spreadsheet with some scripts. <laughs> is it really a product? But uh, I don't know. Maybe Merkle really has a product here. Yeah, I mean, they have some big e-commerce uh, clients. I know that much. And so they're going to be using API within Amazon. They're probably sucking it all into a spreadsheet, probably more realistically a database. They might be running... BI tool on top of that. And then from there, being able to give you information to calculate and apply bids. I could see it. Again, I, I would assume you need some serious scale uh, in order to do it. But hey, like good for them. Like I, I think you, you're going to have to, for them to build out their own solutions, that's what's going to help separate them from other agencies um, because that's really what they're kind of known for is building out a solution for their clients. And this is one of those benefits to what a big brand can do where some maybe smaller independents can't uh, because you need a team, you need data scientists, you need someone to set up databases. Um, so uh, I'm always happy to see when more people get into the software. And Merkle's, like you said, they've kind of been known for, for kind of doing this, putting out some kind of products in addition to their services. And I do know, you know, as a Kenshu prior at this point, like years ago, they've been at stage for four plus years, but uh, Kenshu spent a lot of time on Amazon. And we met with Amazon here at AdStage and they were like, hey, build something. We got nothing. We don't have date range lookbacks. We don't have any automation. Like it's so bare bones and Amazon management doesn't seem like they want to spend any money on an ads UI. So it makes sense for Merk uh, Merkle to kind of move since some of the traditional software players have already built their product and many others like a smaller platforms. You know, we don't have kind of Amazon on our short term roadmap, especially because we do a lot of B2B lead gen. So E-commerce is not necessarily our thing, but good for Merkle. Mm. Yeah, I think we got what, Bing and Chrome? Yeah, you're a Bing guy. You should do Bing. <laughs> <laughs> I like Bing. I think, I mean, they've been doing some really good stuff. And if you pay attention, I think they're really going like this data route, um, which I think is a, a really kind of fascinating whether who they're, what they're hiring or who they're bringing in. But uh, a lot of like, I guess, performance insights is probably the better term to use it for all you PPC people. So uh, I mean, Paul, I think you and I have talked about this one so many times about how we love being able to like write notes on something. You know, I think what, what are those called? Spark lines? Spark lines? Uh, annotated trend lines. Annotated. There it is. There's, there's the term. trend lines. I trust me. I slack this every the company saying, look, annotated trend lines. I want to just be able to add an annotation. And of course, Microsoft's even better. They automated it and put it right on there for you. Yeah, that's, that's what I thought was brilliant with this one. So um, imagine you have your line, you know, it's uh, maybe a month long, you've got a line that's kind of up and down kind of the week and the weekends. And you're like, man, what happened on this one day, you can now hover over that day, and it'll tell you what happened. You know, you had bids that were increased. Here's a link to change history. Here's a link to those keywords that you increased bid. you know, then the probably the better part for any account manager is, well, what can I do? Well, now you can, they're also giving you the insight to say, hey, click here, you can go adjust those bids. So maybe they were too high, maybe they were too low. And I think that's absolutely uh, a brilliant idea. Just to, again, it makes it, it's more actionable insights, which is what we all want as account managers. So good for them. And this is, it's like the way they executed, I think it was great because really people yeah. talk about machine learning and insights and all these like crazy things where, you know, 
uh, what demographics are you targeting? But at the end of the day, all these recommendations are usually not very useful or they're like cool or neat, but they're not actionable. These are like, hey, you know, your clicks are 150% what they normally are. And at the same time, you added these keywords. They look like they're performing well. Maybe you want to add some more, uh, raise the bids on these, or you want to whatever. Uh, so it's like just the simple stuff, like bid changes, budget changes, status changes. It's not, you know, hey, maybe you should add all these audiences or all this targeting to try to spend more money. It seems like very focused. I really like it. Yeah, uh, it's so much better. I don't know. Uh, we should definitely include this one, but Kirk um, Williams, uh, PPC Kirk on Twitter was making fun of Google uh, this week because they were giving insights of like, hey, you should add GDN to your search campaign. You know, it's like, what? No. What, right. what kind of insight is that? Why would I ever do that? Those are two different networks. Those are, I would never do that. And yet, and you got Bing over here who's giving you very actionable insights using, you know, the machine learning. So. Well, even Google um, apps, like I'm amazed that when you use Google Sheets and there's this little button in the bottom right corner, it's like a star and a, a kind of a star looking thing. If you click it, it's this insights rail. It's supposed to like give you all these creative ways of like analyzing your data. And it gives you like the dumbest stuff. I'll have like a very clearly a time series and it's like, oh yeah, maybe I can get a line chart real quick. And it will be like, you know, a pie chart filled to hundred <laughs> percent. Like you can't just figure out maybe to show me a few versions of line and bar charts but so doing insights always sounds easy it's hard and bing looks like they figured it out on this one uh, speaking of other google products too um the last story is about chrome we didn't we didn't beat up anybody for any privacy or you know spammy ad tactics but if you've been using chrome in the us canada or europe you actually have been taking advantage of google's new feature which blocks 12 different ad types on websites. So a lot of the annoying stuff you're used to seeing in the old days, like pop-ups, autoplay videos, full screen ad takeovers, pre-stitial ads. So before the content loads, if you get a pop-up, basically Google is blocking, uh, well, they're not gonna show ads on any of those sites. And for most of those sites, that's how they make money, especially the spammy ones. So that's like, you know, takes the wind right out of their sales. Uh, so they now put that in place globally. So, well, they will be putting it in place as of July 9th everywhere in the world. Yeah, and people have responded. You know, uh, they had a stat here that two thirds of all publishers who once had non-compliant ads are now in good standing. So they, they fixed the problem. So, um, you know, Google wants to take this as a win for them, but I mean, this is great. Like <laughs> you can have that win, get right. rid of the crap ads because it's gonna make us all better and hopefully more trusted uh, in 2019 because marketers are still not trusted just like Congress. We're, we're down there. Yeah, I would hate to see our approval rating, uh, industry approval rating for marketers. But I will say this does give me hope that like you can change behavior. Like Google really focused on this problem. They put a lot of policies in place. They made changes. And if two thirds of publishers, you know, have now actually moved into good standing, it means they don't have any of that spam. You know, they cleaned up the spam problem. Spam problem. So Hopefully, given all the abuses and issues with Facebook and, uh, you know, all social networks, maybe there's some hope if they come up with a good plan and make some changes. I think we're, we're due to see if Twitter's changes help. They put a lot of effort into the quote unquote, the troll problem and hate speech. And there's been a lot of kind of back and forth over like, uh, you know, freedom of speech rights and whatnot. But I think we'll probably this year see if all Twitter's work has a similar effect or if it's still a free troll free for all on Twitter. 
I don't think it is actually. Do you think it's what? What do you think of Twitter lately? More trolly, less trolly, or no change? Mm-mm, I don't know. I would say so. I think what bothers me the most with Twitter was uh, I think the amount of bots and spam. It's not even so much the trolliness of it. It's I mean there were some stats like what like sixty percent of articles are done with like by bots. You know, and I think they're trying to change that if you look at it i think it's like almost they're becoming real-time conversation i mean they're almost like a messenger in you know in that regard um where if you go to your timeline your 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 feed they're really prioritizing not articles it's really conversation from what i have seen and so i think if you're just out there putting in articles and scheduling five a day those are going to get zero you know, engagement in their newsfeed and because they're, they're basically docking you. They really want conversation starters. And then some of the things that they said at SES this week was, that's what we're kind of trying to do. We're trying to, uh, I think, what do they call them? They're going to do more polls and they're going to do more conversation starters. What's the one where, like, like those cold questions, you know what I'm talking about? Like, uh, how's the weather today? Icebreaker. Icebreaker. There it is. Man. Yes. Cold. Right. Two truths and a lie on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's what they're going to be trying to push for 2019, which again is still a slippery slope because do you really want all that dialogue? <laughs> like, right. Some of these people I don't want, like you shouldn't know, stop talking, you know. That's, anyway. a, that's a fair point. Now that you mentioned it, I trolls, human trolls are one problem. It's the bot trolls or even just bots, which usually are basically trolling because that's like what they're there for to like either incent dissolution between two different parties or to just promote crap uh so i feel like they're they're negative i feel like i've seen less of it i feel like i have seen more authentic engagement on twitter in the past few months mm-hmm. so i give them a thumbs up so far on their battle against bots and trolls i think so too i i, I do give them that that credit uh 100 percent. i think my own twitter engagement has been up more just because there's more conversation um you can put something out there now like, you know, Paul, you could put out something and people would respond to it. And I think that's, that's the engagement piece of it that they're really trying to, you know, put out there rather than, hey, here's this link, go do this, you know, and it's just the title of the article link, right. nothing else, right? I, I write funny things on pretty much anything I share. Every now and then I just, I do a retweet, but I almost always write on my retweets and almost every article I read that I share, it's because I actually read it and I found it interesting and I write something front so i try you know and but I, no one responds to my tweets so come on twitter i shouldn't say that i a handful of people do but what's funny too is you ever look at the analytics on a tweet and you're like oh nobody liked this tweet and then you go and there's like uh, you know a thousand impressions 20 engagements and i'm like yeah. what what yeah. like yeah. it's hard to get a like it's hard to earn a like in this day and age yeah i i feel like i like everything i mean like, i'm out there liking stuff i'm clicking on links and i i'll do the exact same thing i'm like man man like this didn't land at all now i'll go read look at the analytics and i'm like what there were seven clicks on that i'm like seven hey guys put a like on there right how hard is that it's, it's funny i've started to like people's stuff because i often will read it i'll read the tweet i'll giggle or i'll read an article but on you know maybe a year ago, I would not think to like put a like on it. Cause I was like, I don't want anyone to see what I like. Right. You know? And then I was like, wait a minute, this is how Twitter works. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm the problem, JD. I'm sorry. Um, well, hopefully you like all the stuff JD and I put out. You can follow us both on Twitter, JD Prater and Wikipedia. Um, if you want more news and all the headlines in, let's call it marketing news. If you want marketing news headlines, <laughs> head over to blog that 
adstage.io and sign up for the newsletter. Maybe we need to change our name to Mark Stage. <laughs> Marketing Stage. I'd love to see Sawhill's reaction to that. Yeah, that, that one won't fly. That's why I am not a brand marketer. Uh, <laughs> head over and, and sign up for the newsletter and check the core space in digital marketing news and trends so that you can be featured in the upcoming benchmark report if you say something pithy or something wise. So we will look for that uh, and have a great week. See you guys.